This is the After Party, live with Jim McAllister and John Daly. Kim, welcome to Tuesday, October 24th. Yeah, the After Party live. Thank you for being here. We kind of try to lighten things up a little bit, uh, get some stories off the beaten path, and and have a little fun together on this, the After Party Live. It is Travel Tuesday, so we're going to have some travel tips if you're uh, planning a vacation or even just dreaming about a vacation. First things first, we'd like to start with a huge thank you to Jim Slayton. Let's get this party started with a $5 super sticker and also Wes for $5. You guys so appreciated getting this uh, this party started and, and off to a great start. Thank you very much for that. Uh, first, though, let's uh, let's talk about the big news today. John Daly, you've almost been creamed more than once by one of these robo taxis in San Francisco, and oh, today, I, I say creamed. well, it's been close. Like you've been in a I crosswalk you and worked in the mainstream media. Come to a big stop right before the well, dodged, pretty- dodged, dodged. Mm-hmm. Pretty close, pretty close yeah. calls there in San Francisco. Well, when a car's like starting at zero and then you know only going at a top seat of twenty five, it's pretty easy. If you're paying attention, it's pretty easy to get out of the way. Um, yeah. But yes, they uh, crews uh, in trouble. Uh, they've had their permit suspended. Uh, this is uh, this was announced this morning, right? I think mm-hmm. um, while you guys were on the air, the yeah. DMV suspended Cruz's driverless car permit uh, amid the public safety concerns. And so this is the DMV. They have this power and uh, they used it. Suspension will be effective immediately. The DMV said in a statement, public safety remains California DMV's top priority and the department's autonomous vehicle regulations provide a framework to facilitate the safe testing and deployment of the technology on California roads. So this all stems from that incident where the um, it wasn't the automated driverless car that hit the person initially. It was another like a hit and run driver, right? Yeah, it and was it, a, a vehicle in one lane that hit a woman, I believe she was in a crosswalk, hit right. this lady, and then she flew in front of the robo-taxi, which, understandable, right, that it couldn't stop in time, but it once it, it senses something's wrong, it just stops. Yeah. So it came to rest right on top of her, and it didn't move. So she was stuck under there. Right. They yeah. had to use the jaws of life to get the robot. And I'm not impressed off with Cruz's, um, you know, Cruz's initial, you know, basically yeah. washing their hands of this and saying, well, it was another driver. They're not taking responsibility. And so even in this the statement released today, they said, we learned today at 1030 a.m. DMV suspended their permit, blah, blah, blah. As a result, we will pause operations, ultimately develop and deploy autonomous vehicles in an effort to save lives. Like, yeah. dude, don't put don't put that in a response to somebody. Did she die or she? Or she I, she was at last check. She was critically injured. Yeah, yeah but that's a really tone deaf thing to say. Um, you know, trying to take the moral high ground. Mm-hmm. Like this is for the better good, everyone, the greater good. In the incident being reviewed by the DMV, a human hit and run driver tragically struck and propelled the pedestrian into the path of our AV. The AV braked aggressively before impact, and because it detected a collision, it attempted to pull over to avoid further safety issues. Well, obviously, there's a problem with that, right? Mm-hmm. That may be the correct course of action. In most cases, but not all cases. And so they're trying to not take responsibility. And I think that's lame sauce. Well, so. and you knew there was gonna there was going Sorry. to be Sorry, little guy. <laughs> you knew that with with AI that there's going to be those moments where a human would react differently than a computer, right? Where artificial intelligence doesn't take the doesn't see or feel all the same things the human driver does. And in this case, when I'm at the wheel, 
and I'm on top of someone I know to try to get my car off of them. It doesn't know that, right? Well, and the thing to keep in mind, um, I'm sure there is artificial intelligence being used, but the reason why they had humans driving the cars is that the the cars needed to learn from the human action, right? So they Mm -hmm. needed that input. And apparently uh, this case didn't happen, right? This scenario didn't happen. So it doesn't know what to do. And it's it's yeah. responding to a collision, right? right? Well, it, it doesn't seem to know what the collision is, right? And so yeah. it thinks it's okay to chill on top of a person. Obviously, they need yeah. to um, to better this technology so that it knows that yeah. it's on top of somebody. Like, that's a solvable problem, unfortunately. We have to yeah. say that. But um, they, they this is kind of their attitude recently. And I, I wasn't going to mention this um, for any particular reason, but I, I, kind of done, I was done with Cruz as of last week because... I took a ride somewhere downtown and then I took a ride back home. Both rides were goofy. The first ride, it pulled over, then it acted like I wasn't there, then it acted like it was going to take off, and then it it started to pull off, so it's at a diagonal in the middle of the like in the lane now, right? In the lane of traffic, almost to the the dividing line at an angle and it stops and puts its blinkers on in the middle of traffic and says, "Okay, get in." And there were cars that somebody honked and, you know, got around them. Luckily, it was, it was at night, so there wasn't a ton of traffic. I did get in. But uh, that was goofy. That was not safe, right? Yeah. And then on the way back, uh, not completely related incident, but shows that the technology has a way, ways to go. It added 10 minutes to my trip and started taking me, um, you know, where I live, in, like in the middle of the city. Yeah. It took me from downtown all the way out Golden Gate Park, Panhandle, and then went in the big loop and then came around Buena Vista Hill, which is like a mountain in the middle of the city going through all these terrace roads, adding 10 minutes to my trip. And when you contact their customer service, they give you those BS canned lines that we're all used to, like from Uber, right? It's like, well, we're sorry, but sometimes our cars reroute in in an effort for safety and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, dude, I'm a native San Franciscan. You just added 10 minutes to my trip. And the customer response was like just, the customer service response was horrible. And then they dropped me off in the middle of a block, downhill, cars backed up behind us, didn't pull off, you know, just stopped in the middle of the road. And that's when I called the I called the button. I hit the button and I said, "I'm I'm done with cruise. This is just not safe." Yeah. So well, the DMV agrees. And that, by the way, I saw someone wondering why didn't you guys start us off with animals today? It's because that story was breaking, and we've really yeah. been talking a lot about it on the show. So kind of wanted to hit that one. Yeah. Something Did you say else... breaking news? After party live, breaking news. exactly breaking. You can't just say that. You can't say that. Breaking news is going to, it will always elicit that response. Okay. Yeah, it's the CNN Uh, model. This one we actually had last night. It's about the the Skystar Ferris wheel that's currently in Golden Gate Park. And I haven't been on it, but where it's located, it is right near Ocean Beach, right? So it's in Golden Gate Uh, Park. On the other end of Golden Gate Park. But when you go up high, you can probably see... I'm saying I'm thinking out toward the ocean from you, that high. I don't know. Well, I don't know if you can see, but it's like three miles. It's on the other end of Golden Gate Park, so it's pretty far away from. Gold, they're going to move Beach. it. They're taking it yeah. out of Golden Gate Park and they're moving it to the Pier 39 Fisherman's Wharf area, yeah. which is really more of a high tourist traffic, packed, dense kind of thing. But tourist it could trap. attract even more people and could get some more business. And the views will be beautiful there as well. You'll see the Golden Gate Bridge. The Bay, Treasure Island, Alcatraz, the Bay Bridge, the 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 barking sea lions, the uh, right there. Bread. Yeah, the, you'll get the smell of the uh, the fish at Fisherman's Wharf and the, yeah, it'll be. I mean, 
I guess I don't have a huge problem with it. It'll, it's fine. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to attract a lot of attention. Yeah, and it's going to make a lot of uh, people who live right near where it is right now happy. It's it's by the De Young Museum, so it's like mm-hmm. right after the Panhandle, right in the beginning of Golden Gate Park. Um, but Golden Gate Park is a narrow park, so the people on either side see it from their houses. And if they're not happy with it, and it it's in an area where the like, Golden Gate Park is popular with locals, um, not a lot of people from out of town end up going there just because there's so many other things to do, mm-hmm. right? So I think it's an appropriate place to put it um, in the middle of the tourist area. Well, if you're, you already will likely be, if you're a tourist, going to Pier 39 Fisherman's yeah. Wharf. And if you didn't know about it, you'll see it when you're there. Right, right. So how long does it take to move something like this? Two weeks to break it down and build it back. 150-foot ride. Are they going to build it back better? They're going to build it back better in San Francisco. That's right. The... Uh, new placement is a short-term trial, but it looks like the environmental impact on the park, uh, the small percentage of revenue that it brought San Francisco had brought in a lot of complaints. So maybe this will be a better spot for it. I don't know. Yeah, huge but, in Japan said it was really out of place in Golden Gate Park. I like to chill there okay. and it was kind of distracting. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's all natural. You've got trees everywhere. You Even the museums, they've built them you know, in these sustainable ways. The buildings are nice yeah. and blend into the background. And you have the Japanese tea garden, uh, which is also huge in Japan. And right. uh, and then all of a sudden it's like, boom, white Ferris wheel. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Well, it'll be nice to have it down there. And hopefully it, it does really well. Okay. And now now let's move on to animals. You've Woo-hoo! all been waiting for. Yay. You want to do this one? Yes. Let's talk about this piggy. Oh, this piggy, this hey. piggy went on a bender. I Uh-oh. mean, he's a 400 pounder. Ooh, and... Oh. Apparently went on a four day bender where he carved a 10 mile path of destruction. He went on the loose in Colorado and finally he was caught and given a new home on the campus of a high school where they have a little farm. This pig covered 10 miles during the four days he was on the run, tore up lawns, dug up roots all over the place, finally captured near the Aurora History Museum by a team of five animal control officers, three park and rec employees, and two members of the public. Took a lot of people to catch him. His name is Fred. Fred is such a good boy, and they love having him there at the high school. Eads High School Farm in southeastern Colorado is his new home. There you go. Did you say Eid? Like Eid of Berkeley? Eid's Electronics? Uh, uh, it the, sounds the like to the it. Pat Thurston show? This is E-A-D-S. Eid's. E-A-D-S. Oh, okay. E-A-D-S. Eid's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. Um, we love our little piggy. Do you think he stopped by the market? Because I think you know, <laughs> they're big <laughs> no. on stopping at the market. Some of them. Go to the market. Not all of them, right? Fred. Oh, Fred. What are you doing? <laughs> okay. Next up, uh, we have a doggy. You wanted animal stories. I got animal stories. Bobby, the world's oldest dog ever, died. Uh, unfortunately, it's 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 not just a sad story. It's a it's a happy story because he died at the ripe old age of thirty one. That is a That's long, right. long life for a dog. Oh yeah, the usually the lifespan dog. is fifteen, right? And yeah. so this is he lived twice that so he's yeah. 31 years old wow 31 years and 165 days that, that's wow. even more impressive impressive mm-hmm. guinness world record holder bobby uh, a purebred raffaero raffaero do alentejo i've never I'm heard of that kind of that dog. passed away yeah. at his home in portugal on saturday according to his press uh, rep uh his death was announced on social media by a veterinarian who bobby met uh several times despite outliving every dog in history his 1000 or sorry eleven thousand. 
all I'm looking for is 11,478 days on earth uh, would not be enough for those who loved him. Uh, Bobby became both the world's oldest living dog and the oldest dog ever in uh, February. February. Beating an almost century old record for the latter title. And here's some other photos here. Oh, we had the, oh, it's a little buddy of a cat wow. here. And uh, proving that he was a good boy. Oh, look at that. 31 years. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the identity of Bobby's successor to the title, the world's oldest living dog, has yet to be revealed. So tune in. Stay tuned for that. Let's talk about this bird. This bird lost the ability to fly, but oh. apparently gained the ability to paint. What? Yes. This is a kestrel who oh, lives yeah. in Vermont. An American kestrel, now at a Vermont museum, has found his calling as an artist. The kestrel is named Ferrisburg in honor of the town where he was rescued. And he's a flight ambassador at the museum, this uh, museum, Vermont Institute of Natural Science. And he had a broken bone, which forced him into retirement. But the bone break is believed to be the result of a disease brought on by the poor diet that he had after being raised as an illegal pet, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah. So like McDonald's, Taco Bell? I don't know what they fed that dog. I don't know. But they decided to train him to paint. So the educators at the museum used mealworms to get the bird to run across the canvas with paint on his feet, creating works of art in oh, the wait process. Mm-hmm. So first of all, this was not a. This was not a. He didn't like give consent to this. So it's not like he like. Oh, I'm gonna pick up painting. But also, they're feeding him to get him to run across the board. That doesn't seem yeah. like he's actually painting. Well, you know, uh, the. Ferrisburg, the, the bird, now leads painting classes at the Institute for People of All Ages, learning leads about birds. Classes. He leads, leads classes. classes. Come on, everybody. Strap Watch some me run. to your feet. I got yeah. mealworms. What, are they throwing mealworms at people? <laughs> they throw him mealworms, and he when runs When you across. first started this story, I was thinking, man, I am such an underachiever. This bird's like, no. yeah, I'm out of the mm -mm. flying game, but I moved on to painting. You're all right. Yeah. He's cute, though. And I'm glad yeah. that he's got a new lot in life. Yeah, uh, it sounds like some other life. people have a lot of time yeah. on their hands. And uh, Ferrisburg's just going along for the mealworms. Um, this is a crazy story. You know, yesterday we had the uh, house that was accidentally demolished. Right. This doesn't go that far, but this is a strange thing to find in the middle of the street. A shack was found abandoned. This is um, police in California were left scratching their heads when an entire shack was found abandoned on a city street. This is Irwindale. Um, they said the structure in a state of disrepair, I guess you could say that was found next to the curb in the 800 block of Alpha Street. You know where that is. Uh, that's a police... pretty big thing to dump. It's like, yeah. that's more than a mattress or a couch, a whole shack. Yeah, uh, that's Mongo, if I ever saw it. Uh, police said <laughs> that they were unable to find any surveillance video showing how the shack ended up in the street. An anonymous letter, let's call her Dorothy, they say here, reported a house that seemingly fell from the sky. I get it. <laughs> and land, see what they did there? And landed yeah. in the middle of one of our streets, police said in a tongue-in-cheek Facebook post. With this year's first ever tornado warning in Los Angeles, IPD was sure uh, this was the case. The post said there were mm -hmm. no witches harmed when the house landed. A uh, crew from the Royal uh, Cou Couches Towing Company was called to the scene. What can you tell us about the scene? Uh, they had to haul the shack out of the road, obviously, uh, yeah. and they, uh, the uh, police department sure continued that, their post saying that the that took the, a while. The towers clicked their heels together and summoned the courage to get the house out of yeah. the roadway. Um, the Ir ultimate Irwin, fate of this structure um, after being towed is uh, unclear. 
Irwindale is in Los Angeles County. It is in the San Gabriel Valley. I had to look it up because I wasn't sure uh, where where Irwindale is. But yeah, look at that. Right in the yeah, middle of the road. By like Azusa, West Coast mm. area. Uh, I'm sure there's a Whole Foods in that area. I'll have to put that on my list. Uh, Here is next a, up. a Cypriot. Is that yeah. how you say that? Yeah, Cypriot. A Cypriot balancing 319 wine glasses on his head while dancing. A resident of Cyprus is a Cypriot, uh, putting a skill he's been cultivating for nearly 30 years to the test by doing this balancing trick and thereby breaking a world record. We love the world records here on the after party. We just can't show the video. Aristoteles, his name is Aristoteles Valoritis. He's 62. During the day, he works as a security advisor. But since 1995, he's been moonlighting as a glass dancer, performing dance routines while balancing these wine glasses on his head. We can't, we can't show the video. No, No. too many, much music. Look at that. I mean, that's something to balance. That is very precarious. Wow. He shows off his skills at restaurants and events. He attempted this Guinness World Record for the most wine glasses balanced on his head. The previous record was 270. He did 319 world record. The whole thing is you have to keep the balance for at least 10 seconds. A goal he doubled while dancing so 20 seconds while he danced and he said i enjoy doing it i see the spectators faces full of tension and agony like they're watching a movie he said he plans to attempt more world records for balancing different types of glasses on his head well done look at that pretty insane uh can you imagine messing up eventually right he's got to mess up at some point i mean i couldn't even balance one on my head for 20 seconds uh... yeah no (laughs) Uh, okay, moving on um, to another story where le, you're going to enjoy this. A Utah man's pole dancing skeleton display ran afoul <laughs> of local authorities for using a street sign. Uh, you can see here that the um, that the skeleton with the purple wig is hanging on a street sign. So it yeah. uh, has t- uh, it was moved to private property. So this guy, Christopher Fujishin, uh, not a magician, a Fujishin, put up a Halloween display next to the road outside his Grantsville home. This is in Utah. A few days uh, ago, featuring a purple wig skeleton doing a pole dance on a road while the other skeletons watch and offer money. Uh, pretty You know, funny. that might go over well in San Francisco, but that's not going over well in Utah. Not that's in not going to fly. City no. officials said in a Facebook post that the display violated city code. Um, and it's only because <laughs> the skeleton was dancing on a public pole you can't dance on a public (laughs) pole you gotta dance on a private pole the post which has since been deleted said the owner of the decorations had until 9 p.m to take them down otherwise they'd be confiscated so he moved the skeletons to his yard and local residents who saw the city's viral post started coming by and get this kim not everybody's against it adding their own decorations to display which now includes lights and music The uh, the owner says we look forward to keep this uh, keeping this going and getting a little more elaborate as we go. He admitted the display may be a little risque for some people, but it's all in the name of fun. The homeowner yeah. brushed aside criticism that the skeleton pole dance is inappropriate for children. If your kids understand what it what that is, maybe that's the problem, not the skeleton dancing on the pole. Maybe it's something else going on. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think it depends on the neighborhood in which you live. You know, yeah. if you live in a suburban neighborhood full of kids and kid trick or treaters. 
Maybe not so much. But if you live in a different neighborhood, maybe you're in the Castro, maybe you're somewhere, you know, then have fun. If, if you live at Broadway and, and, and Battery right near the strip clubs in San Francisco, that's different, right? Well, if you're living at Broadway and Battery, you have a different issue going yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't have the money for uh, for Halloween decor. No. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, like, if you're a kid and you see that, you just think it's like, oh, this the skeletons are dancing, you know, or whatever. Like, there's, you know, that's, I, I don't, mm. I don't think, it, I don't think it's a problem. Yeah. I think uh, people are clutching their pearls a little too much. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> All right, from Halloween, let's head over to an interesting house. Then it could talking about the people living on the street, it could maybe give us some answers to long-term housing for people. Is this one parked in the middle of the street? No, not so much. This is a story where college students have created a 3D printed home. It took 15 months to build and it cost $250,000, right? So this is going on at the Woodbury University campus in Burbank. It is a concrete example of the future of home building. And before you say, well, concrete's really bad for the environment, this is a different concrete's type really of... really bad for the environment. Thank oh, you. Sorry. This is a different type of concrete. It's a more environmentally friendly mixture, I guess. So it's a little bit better for the world, is what they're saying. Um, but it was a project that these college students had to work on and they call it proof of concept that it can be done and it can be repeated and scaled in a way that has a huge effect on the community and the world at large this house was an was an entry into what's called the solar decathlon it's a collegiate competition encouraging designers to create a high performance structure powered by renewable energy uh, and the kids say, look, we think it looks really nice. I'm glad we kept it raw concrete. We didn't add any paint or anything like that on top of it. So we can see all the different layers of the actual material. Uh, the kitchen they love because it uses sustainable materials as well. So the dining chairs and the table made from recyclable paper. They said they try to think sustainably from the building, but also with how they wanted to furnish it as yeah. well. It looks kind of cool inside. The Small, inside but looks cool. better than the outside, I think. Yeah. The home shower is water, uh, the shower water is recirculated for toilet flushing, and the blending form and sloped roof are designed to maximize solar power. Mineral wood insulation serves as a fire barrier. The concrete used helps reduce noise and preserve internal temperatures and is also an environmentally friendly formula of concrete. Right. So they, the whole thing's they, not 3D printed. Obviously, the top, the roof there, that's wood. But they're right. talking about like the walls made out of that concrete. Yeah, and, and the concrete as well was 3D yeah, printed. Unfortunately, I mean, if you want your house to look like a state park restroom or like <laughs> a rest stop, then uh, this is the option for you. Well, it's a prototype. It's an example. Uh, they had two dozen students working on it. They had 30 organizations coming together for labor and the concrete components. And so, you know, when you talk about homes in in California and how much things cost, $250,000, you know, you're going to pay, what, another $300,000 for the land? That's a $500,000 house. And here in California, that's called an affordable home. And it's green. We'll have to reach out to Deidre from Lozica Concrete to find out her. Right. See if she can help us out, set us up. That's right. Exactly. Okay, moving on, uh, in case that didn't uh, stress you out, 
Um, <laughs> you can think about this. There are states that are stressed out and there are states that aren't stressed out um, going either way. Do you think California is on the list of uh, stressed out states or un, uh, least stressed? Calm and mellow. I think we we have our uh, our yoga. We have our namaste. We can go out to the coast and to catch a wave and have some walk through the vineyards and a little wine. That may be mellow. the case, but California... <clears throat> Not on the list, oh, not no. on the top 10 list of least stressed out states from the roller coaster housing market or the rising cost of groceries. It seems like everyone has reason to be a little stressed out except for Kim. But according to a new <laughs> report from the new report, people, uh, the level of stress you experience can be influenced by where you live. So earlier this year, Wallet Hub ranked America's most and least stressed states. The report compared 50 states. That's because we have 50 states across mm -hmm. 41 metrics, including unemployment, income growth, rate of separation and divorce, mental health, and unaffordability of visits to the doctor. Uh, for the final ranking, the cities were scored across four key dimensions, work-related stress, money-related stress, family-related stress, and okay. health and safety-related stress. Okay. So they used data from all over the place. The study also ranked the highest and lowest states in individual categories like hours of sleep per night. Uh-oh, Kim. Psychologists mm -hmm. per capita. Uh-oh. And average hours worked per week. Wow. Uh, two of those three you're in trouble with. Uh... <laughs> um, Mississippi ranked as the most stressed out state in the U.S. It had the highest rate of money related stress. While the state offering uh, the lowest cost of living in the nation, it also has one of America's least educated and least productive workforces. Sorry, Mississippi. As, one, as well as one of the worst rates of worker migration. On the opposite end of the spectrum uh, are the least, state, uh, least stressed states, including Utah, Connecticut, and South Dakota. Places like Hawaii and Florida which both have previously named uh, were named some of the happiest states in the country, didn't even make the top 10 list. The least stressed out state in America. Are you ready for it? Okay. Minnesota. Oh, Ooh, that's yeah, a beautiful Minnesota picture. Is the least stressed out in the state, maybe because they have views like this. According to the report, re residents of the state say they experience the least amount of money and family-related stress. They also have the second highest uh, average hours of sleep per night, right behind Colorado. Um, known as the land of 10,000 lakes. They were named as one of the top states to live and work. Okay, here's your list of least stressed out states. Minnesota, mm -hmm. Utah, New Hampshire, South Dakota, Massachusetts, Iowa, New Jersey, Connecticut, North Dakota, well, both Dakotas, and Virginia. All right. Yeah. Uh, any of those places that you would want to live in? No, thanks. You don't want to live in a Dakota? I, I guess I wouldn't mind living in New Hampshire, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. And uh, we did that this story picture the other day of Minnesota is really pretty, but I'm there not was that, California. There was that city, I think it was Nashua, that was rated in the other story we did as like one of the um, best places to live, right? Right. Yeah, happiest places to live. Um, so that's, uh, that's interesting. Um, I was looking for California. Let's see if I can find it. Uh, California came in 25. So oh. We're way down. We're way down the list. I guess right we're pretty stressed Idaho. out. Wow, we're after mm. Kansas and Iowa. Oh, we have a ways to go. You know how recently there have been um, there's all the hoopla over banning books, right? Right. Well, there's a book producer that apparently is making it easier for school districts to ban books or to what? at least. Take what? books out and se and separate them. So Scholastic. Oh uh, no, not Scholastic. Is, yeah, they're separating books on race, gender, and sexuality in their book fairs now. Uh, they will allow 
all U.S. districts to include or exclude a separate list. And that is creating a bit of a blowback for Scholastic. It's a children's book publisher, and they're going to separate their titles in their elementary school book fairs. So Scholastic basically comes around to all the schools and says, hey, do us a, a book fair at our school and we'll we'll put up the book fair or we'll send you books. You put up the book fair and you keep, I guess, a portion of the money, right? So it's kind of a school fundraiser. Yeah. And also promotes literacy for kids because kids get excited about going to the book fair and seeing all the books and they go by class and whatever. The decision, though, to separate titles by gender, by race and sexuality is in response to dozens of states' laws now restricting how these topics are discussed in schools. Scholastic has opposed that, so they didn't want that to happen. But the districts can now opt out of the new list called the Share Every Story, Celebrate Every Voice catalog, or they can choose specific titles from it. It's a new catalog of 64 titles, including biographies of the Supreme Court Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson and civil rights icon John Lewis, the memoir I Am Ruby Bridges on the experience of desegregating schools. Why are these things offensive to people? I don't get it. The picture book Change Sings by the poet Amanda Gorman, the storyteller, a middle grade novel about a Cherokee boy, and the disability positive titles You Are Enough and You Are Loved. Scholastic saying in a statement, it created the separate catalog to continue offering diverse books in what they say is a hostile legislative environment that could threaten school districts, teachers, or librarians. There is now enacted or pending legislation in more than 30 U.S. states prohibiting certain kinds of books from being in schools, mostly LGBTQ titles and books that engage with a presence of racism in our country. Because scholastic book fairs are invited to schools where books can be purchased by kids on their own, these laws create an almost impossible dilemma. Back away from the titles or risk making teachers, librarians, and volunteers vulnerable to being fired, sued, or prosecuted. So Scholastic says, we can't make a decision for our school partners around what risks they're willing to take based on local laws where they are. So these topics and this collection have been part of many planning calls that happen in advance of shipping a book fair. They say we don't pretend it's a perfect solution, but the other option would be to not offer these books at all. And that is not something that they plan to consider. So that's it. They separate the books out. You get to pick whether you want to have them as part of your book fair or not. Wow, that's pretty crazy. I, I mm-hmm. Did your kids buy uh, Scholastic books? I know they were offered when I was oh, in yeah. elementary school. Totally. Um, and everybody would get excited. Um, and as we can see from the graphic here on the bottom right, no cash, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> Are they doing payday payday advances now with the kids? Well, I think in some cases also some kids can't afford books, right? Their family, to, yeah. maybe they don't have the cash. Maybe they're, taking, so, maybe they're taking Venmo now. Yeah, and you can win books. And there's some free books that, that Scholastic yeah. will give away at the event. So, yeah. Yeah, very cool. Um, yeah. Moving on to people who maybe uh, started out with Scholastic, but then when they became adults, decided they didn't want to really work. Oh, no. <laughs> this is a story about younger employees. This is from uh, Wall Street Journal. I just wasn't in the mood to work. American employees have reinvented the sick day. <laughs> there used to be. I mean, do you ever have you ever just called in sick for no reason? Because when I call in sick, I have to be really sick. Like it's no, there's no joke. I uh, mean, 
I've had a few days where I've called out sick in protest. Okay. Um, and it was either that or walking out the door. So right. uh, considered a mental health day. Yeah. Um, but younger employees, but in general, yeah, I work. I, I mean, yeah. I, I worked. I, I, I stopped going in. You know how we used to go in and kind of like with the sniffles and you're sick. And then the COVID pan, hit. The pandemic like, put a stop to that. Yeah, yeah. I didn't really want to put anybody at risk. So at that point, I'd stop doing the whole like go to work and be the brave little soldier. But this is different. These are people that are just like, yeah, not into working today. Yeah. No. So younger mm-hmm. employees, especially, uh, are calling in sick more than they used to. And some employers say it's costing them a lot of money. The bar for taking a sick day is getting lower, and some bosses say it's a problem. U.S. workers have long viewed an unwillingness to take sick days as a badge of honor, like we were talking about. That's a laurel workers care much less about these days. The number of sick days Americans take annually has soared since the pandemic, according to payroll data. Uh, COVID-19 and a rise in illnesses such as RSV, which can require days away from work, are one of the reasons. Managers and human resource executives also attribute the jump to a bigger shift in the way many Americans relate to their jobs. Right. So for one, more workers are using up sick time, often for reasons such as mental health, like I mentioned, Mm -hmm. Uh, although that was just one or two days over the course of years. Uh, And unlike older workers who might have been loath to call in sick for uh, fear of seeming weak or unreliable, younger workers feel much more entitled. That's a shock. (laughs) (laughs) To take full advantage of the benefits they've been given. Uh, That confidence has only grown as record low unemployment persists. So, yeah, that's pretty interesting. Uh, So far this year, 30 percent of white collar workers with access to paid leave have taken sick time up from 21% just a few years ago in 2019. I think in other countries, they think Americans are weird for not taking advantage of vacation time or not calling in sick when they're sick, you know, and, and maybe this next generation coming up is changing the way that works because I don't and maybe it's the way we were raised because I don't know about you, but my mom had a job. And so when I was sick in the morning or I didn't feel like going to school or whatever, mm-hmm. she's like, Mm-mm, walk it off, go to school. And if you're really sick, then call and come home later on. But I have to go to work and and take a shower and eat something. You'll feel better and move on. Wow. So there wasn't a lot of, you know, oh, it's OK, Kim, let's pet your head and make sure you feel better. And my kids have it's I take a different approach because I remember being forced to go when I shouldn't probably have gone. I mean, my mom did what she could, and I'm not blaming her at all, but that's just the way I grew up is like, you better be really sick, you know, because we have things to do and I have a job to go to. So we can't just stay home. Yeah, my mom worked part time and then uh, but she stayed home the first, I think, 10 years of her her lives, um, which was, I mean, nice. Um, Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, you know, my parents could do that. Um, But yeah, I could see I, I, I could see how that 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 was difficult for like especially um your mom live it was just your mom right yeah your parents were but, may, but maybe because i grew up that way that's the the ethic i approach i use to approach work right where i need to be there i need yeah. to show up like yeah. I, i'm if i'm not sick or if i can work through it i'm going yeah and where i took my that kids... to the extreme in general i took that to the extreme where yeah. it like cost myself my own health yeah um I'm not going to name names uh, yeah. But when you like, you know, they fire half the staff and they double your workload and you <laughs> end up going to like urgent care and it ends up being stress related. You know, that's yeah. that that's when you get the wake up call. You're like, OK, uh, you need to I gotta evaluate. Go. Yeah. yeah. So, hey, if you know you have the sick time coming, might as well use it. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned Europe, you know, they, they basically most of the most of those countries, they take their holidays. They call vacation yeah. holidays. Um in August, like the entire month of August in a lot of countries like France and Germany, 
don't expect to get your, your phone calls returned. Really? Um, but since most of the society takes their break at the same time and they get four or five weeks of vacation, um, it works out because everyone's gone, right? Yeah. And their quality of life is better. So I think we yeah. have something to learn there. I agree. Uh, it is Travel Tuesday here on the After Party Live. If you can click the like button right now, we would so appreciate it. If you haven't subscribed, click that subscribe button as well. When we come back in 30 seconds, we're going to talk about Travel Tuesday. We'll also talk about a side gig that was a bit of a distraction. Somebody had to check out of that one. We'll be right back on the After Party Live. The After Party Live is underwritten by our audience. And without you, this show wouldn't be possible. If you can contribute $10, $15, or $20 a month, it would keep this party a rockin'. The PayPal link can be found in the About section of the YouTube channel or at the bottom of the show description. Any dollar amount is appreciated, and it all adds up. On behalf of Kim and myself, thank you for your consideration. Aloha, bitches. It's the After Party Live. Aloha, indeed. And we want to thank you to our repeat contributors, Karen C., Julie S., and Tamia G. Thank you guys for helping keep the show afloat. Yeah, those automated um, payments that we receive through PayPal, those are the backbone of the show. We could not do it without those recurring payments. Jim Slayton for five, getting the party started with that. Wes, my love in Florida with a five. And Spencer with a $3 super sticker as well. You're so appreciated. Thank you for super chatting and super stickering us today on the after party. So do you want to do travel or do you want to start with Hitler? Oh, oh, what? (laughs) (laughs) Those are your choices. You I'm gonna go pick. To I'm gonna pick travel. Yeah. Okay. Let's go to travel. Okay. Uh, and now you have that very strange tease in your head. Mm, what's going on? Let's uh, let's go to uh, the State Department here. Uh, the State Department has issued a worldwide caution for Americans overseas. Um, this was on Thursday. They've urged oh, wait, Americans. Wait, wait, wait! I have a special thing. I made it. I made it just for you. Are you ready? Okay. Travel Tuesday. It, it's Travel Tuesday. Okay. Oh, it's Travel Tuesday. There you go. Special graphic. I I mean, hey, why not, right? Turn the page. Yes. Uh, The State Department uh, issued a worldwide travel advisory, as we said. The travel advisory cited increased tensions in various locations across the world uh, and the potential for terrorist attacks, demonstrations, or violent actions against U.S. citizens and interests. So the State Department recommends U.S. citizens stay vigilant in locations popular with tourists and sign up for their smart traveler enrollment program. I recommend that. So they have a specific program. Um, it's it's step.state.gov. But if you just, you know, Google uh, step or the Department of State, it's mm-hmm. the Smart Traveler Enrollment Program. When you do that, you're basically giving them your contact information. And if there's a problem in the country that you're traveling within, they'll alert you, right? So when I was in Myanmar, I'm like, you know what? It'd be a good idea just to enroll in this thing in case there was mm-hmm. some kind of political unrest that I would know like, oh, it's time to leave, Right. Uh, It can provide information, make it easier to locate them in an emergency. Uh, The U.S. Department of State has no higher priority than the safety and security of U.S. citizens, uh, they told USA Today. But we take seriously our commitment to provide U.S. citizens with clear, timely, and reliable information about every country in the world so they can make their own informed travel decisions. So Mm -hmm. obviously this is uh, in in response to the uh, thousands that have been killed in the uh, Israeli-Hamas war. it's really sad. At least 3,700, almost almost 3,800 people have been killed in Gaza as of Thursday, mm-hmm. according to the, that's according to Gaza Health Ministry. So yeah. I don't know if we can take that number. You have to take that with a grain of salt, um, including more than 1,500 children. Over 1,400 people have been killed in Israel, most yeah. of whom were civilians. So this is a this is something to pay attention to. Um, 
my mom, of course, has to keep track of this. You know, she's not going to be traveling to Iran anytime mm-hmm. soon. Um, but if you're traveling, uh, sign up for the Smart Traveler Enrollment Program. It's free of charge. And uh, the State Department will get information to you about the country you're traveling in. So just a quick note on this Travel Tuesday. I do want to comment on something in the chat. Deidre is saying today that, and I know she just got back from Maui, and she says that... Um, they need people. She said Maui is quiet and it needs visitors. Just no alerts. Just be respectful is what she's saying. I would avoid Lahaina if I were to go there. I think I mean, there's s- nothing there, right? No. Yeah. Well, no, there's some stores and some things, but mostly I think I think uh, there's a grocery store that survived that's yeah. still open. But I I wouldn't I would just bypass that area if you want to go, you know, Kihei, uh, Wailea. Paella, the uh, they have paella, even ca- uh, mm, different kind. Uh, oh. Kanapali, Napili, down in down past Lahaina, those places are open. Those people need business, so I just wanted to throw that out there. Right, very nice. Um, a- another story we're looking at today on this Travel Tuesday has to do with the best souvenirs. So if you're going to travel. The number one souvenir travel experts always buy on a trip. What is it? Well, magnet? it's an article of clothing, usually. Oh. You buy a magnet? I like a magnet, too. Uh, I was just thinking um, of a keychain or a magnet or something small. They looked, They uh, Huff, Huffington Post asked people who work in the travel industry to share the one souvenir they're always sure to bring home when they go on a trip. So here's what they picked. The first one is an article of clothing. Because clothes are functional and they're practical. I can wear clothes all the time and they serve as a constant reminder of the trip. Um, Helping the memories and lessons of the trip live on in my mind even when I'm at home. Although how many shirts do you have that other people have given you that you've never worn? Mm, Well, I mean, in in this case, you're picking up the one something for yourself, you know, maybe. I don't know. Okay. I'm just saying the ones that people buy for me. They're usually like square cutouts of cloth that are like completely ill-fitted. And yeah. I'm like, I love you, mom, but I'm not wearing another Canada T-shirt. Uh, um, the next one is local grocery items. So people going to local supermarkets or outdoor markets, finding condiments, chocolates, like mines. mustard. One person like mustard, very healthy for you. Mm-hmm. One person said when they visited yeah, yeah, Greece, yeah. I fell in love with Greek honey, and so I bought several jars. In Spain, I love bringing back tinned seafood like mussels and octopus. When I travel back home to Puerto Rico, I buy copious amounts of locally produced coffee. I do that from Hawaii. I buy, I'll buy, I'll come back with one or two bags of Kona coffee. Or if you're in Texas, you can also get some honey. Some honey. Um, Sometimes I'll buy uh the like a, a special maui cookie like a shortbread maui cookie mm-hmm. or i used to buy the chocolate covered macadamia nuts but now you can get them all over california so that's not really very special yeah just be careful if you're traveling internationally yeah. or even in another state that you don't bring something back that uh is not allowed you know like one seeds person, and fruit oh yeah things that are yeah, agricultural that have bugs in them one person says a postcard. I buy a postcard uh, that right. write my favorite memories on the back. That's special. Yeah. One other person says a piece of art. To me, the best souvenirs are those that capture the spirit of a place. It's why I always look for local artisanal crafts. They not only support the local economy, but provide a tangible connection to the culture and traditions of that destination. 
I uh, uh, did the postcard thing with my family when I went on around the world. But after a while, it's like it becomes so tedious. The place. Yeah. You're like, wait a minute. I'm spending a lot of money to be on a trip. I'm like, I'm cutting back on the postcards. You're yeah. going to get one per continent. <laughs> um, someone else agrees with you on the magnets. I always well, buy small. magnets they're when small. traveling. Yeah. yeah. And the I magnets... only travel carry on. So it's like, I'm not bringing people are like, what did you bring me? I'm like, absolutely yeah. nothing. You want a magnet? Yeah. <laughs> this includes magnets of states, cities, national parks, even countries. It's a cheap souvenir and a great reminder of many vacations every time I open my refrigerator. Um, someone else says, I always make it a point to collect snow globes when I travel. And the last one is local jewelry. If it's a souvenir for myself, I try to buy jewelry from a local boutique, earrings, necklace, easily packable. Uh, try to find something local artisan not only makes the piece more special, but contributes to the local economy in a more purposeful way. So there you go. Um, speaking of t-shirts, it's funny enough that I wore this shirt today. What does it say? God save the king? God save the king. So I bought that. <laughs> I don't usually buy t-shirts, but you know, yeah. I was there. It was an auspicious occasion mm -hmm. uh, on day one of uh, our, our new. Oh, uh, that's right. You were there king. for the coronation, right? Yeah. King Charles. Yeah. Um, I'm more of a experienced person, so I don't really like to buy a lot of things. I'll buy right. if I'm going to buy. I do like occasionally buying like a hoodie or clothing or if I what I'll do is I won't pack enough clothes for my trip. Yeah. And then I'll buy clothes in a spot so even though it's not necessarily like specific to that location i'll remember like this piece of clothing yeah. is from london or whatever and it'll be kind of cool but i'm more about the experience so our next story has to do with experiences you're familiar with uber right yeah well uber is now offering hot air balloon rides in turkey uh this is mm. a new tourism push um turkey is a little controversial they're kind of losing their whole uh, democratic ideals um, and going back to mm -hmm. like a the uh, theocracy, but Uber technologies will let users book hot air balloon rides over Turkey's touristic Cappadocia region. The latest step in the company's push to expand from taxis and ride hailing into wider travel and tourism app users can pay approximately $159 uh, US to reserve one of 20 places on, an, on a 90 minute sunrise flight 3000 feet above the UNESCO registered volcanic landscape. Famous for its cave cities and churches dating back to the 10th century. They said in a statement on Monday, this area is a major tourist attraction in Turkey and about 10% uh, of the country's 44.5 million foreign visitors stay there, according to the Ministry of Culture and Tourism. So if you're going to Turkey, uh, yeah, you can uh, fly up above in a hot air balloon. Well, that's that kind of fun. List, that's your yeah, I, I do enjoy a nice hot air balloon. I like that very much. Have you been up? Uh, I have not. That? Oh, you're well, just saying that. You, I like, you enjoy looking at them. I do. They have this event in Sonoma County where it's a like an event where you, they people take their hot air balloons up and there's yeah. you know several of them in the sky. There's you know 30, 40 of them and it's so pretty to see them from the ground, but I've never actually been up in one. No. Yeah, they also have in um Bagan, Old Bagan um in Myanmar, which I mentioned earlier, they have um like beautiful like temples everywhere. It's like the landscape is just temple after temple after temple mm. and they have hot air balloons. It's very picture uh, picturesque. Very cool. Yeah. Very beautiful. Um let's move on to the story that is the top thing that travel experts always pack to take on a trip. A we magnet? all have the thing. No, they're not taking the that buying the magnet once they get oh, there. They're not okay. packing it to take with them. So again, they ask people that work in the travel industry, what's that one item that you always make sure you take with you? And here are the top ones. One is a scarf. 
It can be a top, a head wrap, a blanket, a neck pillow, an eye mask, and so many more things, and it always comes in handy. I bought a, Spencer says, I bought a cocaine, a cola shirt once. <laughs> That's funny. Um, somebody else says, a Turkish towel that has served many purposes, from a blanket on a chilly bus to a towel at a beach, even a pillow when I'm camping. So we've got a scarf, a Turkish towel, we have protein bars, always pack snacks. You might not have time to grab something before it's time to start boarding, especially if lines for food and drink are long and protein bars or a meal replacement bar doesn't take up much space. Or you might be stuck in a situation where the um, food provided is not uh, optimal. Mm, It's sketchy. Also, and this is a really good idea, you probably do this, a photocopy of your passport. Oh, yeah, you should Uh, always have that. This person says, this travel expert says, I have a printed copy of my passport that I keep in my carry-on bag, but not in my wallet. If for some reason my wallet gets stolen, I have backup ID to present. Some people keep photos of their IDs on their phones as well. That's good general advice. If your phone should die or get stolen, yeah. at least you have that paper back. Have things in multiple places. Mm-hmm. Like, like uh, you know, if you're going out, right, have 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 it back in the hotel, right? Have a yeah. copy, have a copy in different, just like you back up your data in, in different places. Right. Because think about it, if you lose everything and you need to go, you know, and uh, go to the embassy, you want to start with a copy of your passport, right? Right. Because most people wouldn't even know their passport number. Right? I don't. No. Yeah. A carry-on amenities kit. Always yeah. pack a travel kit with a mini toothbrush, makeup items, makeup wipes. Uh, great before you go to sleep on a long flight. The sheet masks for extra moisture. You never know when you might need it. Write down um, all the phone numbers of your credit card companies. A lot of them, they have like a foreign number or you can call collect. Write all those down, you know, because if you need to freeze your credit card, you don't want to, you know, start from zero. and think, You can't oh, if they're gone, right? I got to Google this. Wait, my phone is stolen. I can't Google it. <laughs> oh, no. A rain jacket. Uh, I pack my rain jacket on every trip I take. It has saved me on numerous occasions. That helps you in San Francisco, right? Probably. A portable charger. Airports are so crowded. Everyone's trying to charge their phone. Have a power bank. Uh, It means I don't have to sit in a crowded area for my phone to charge. Medication, obviously. A microfiber towel. A travel adapter. If I have to check my luggage, I always pack at least a day or two of fresh clothes any necessary meds and a converter and my makeup in my carry-on. So if my luggage is misplaced for a day or two, it's not the end of the world and I can still enjoy my time because I don't spend the first part of my trip scurrying around stores trying to find the basics. Those are the top things to take with you. I always bring the microfiber towel. Do you? Um, Yeah, because it's quick dry. A lot of them have like silver embedded in them so that it keeps odor from developing. And then you just, you wash it, it dries really fast. It's very convenient. I wouldn't and, uh, think to bring a towel because don't most hotels around the world oh, I'm have not staying towels? In hotels. I'm not staying in hotels most of the oh. time. So like if I stay in a, even in the nicer hostel, they charge for a towel. And for me, it's easier just to have the, you know, like a, a, a microfiber towel, the type that right. me- is meant for bathing. Um, it's, it's really thin. Right. And it's, it also, I'm not going to carry a full size towel in my carry on, right? There's just not enough room. So microfiber towel. So it's not towel, body sized or how big is it? Um, It's like two, it's a normal towel size, like two, was that two feet by okay. three feet or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it's thin, so it rolls up. It's not a big poofy, uh, right, right. you know, towel. Um, huh. But if you're trying to travel light, um, yeah, I highly recommend that. Um, and another thing you mentioned, chargers. A lot of countries have really chunky, large chargers, like UK. So mm-hmm. always trying to find um, the most streamlined, smallest charger. If you're going to be walking around all day and you need like a charger, try to avoid like the big blocks. 
because mm-hmm. even regular charges, sometimes it's a huge block. It's like, you're not going to want to put that in your pocket, but if you can get the tiny small one, right. Yeah. And it's flat, um, then you can just kind of put it in your back pocket and carry it around and take it, you know, when you go get coffee and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Good travel think, Like when you're traveling, you got to think like practically, okay, is this going to be useful yeah. like day to day or is this like going to annoy me? Am I going to use this once or, or not? And that is Travel Tuesday. Woohoo! No sound effect yet, but no. this has been Travel Tuesday. I'm working on it. I tried to make a video last night, but that didn't go very well. So, yeah. yeah. These things have to be planned out, right? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Moving on, uh, this is pretty cool. Scientists have created the world's most water-resistant surface. Pretty cool. This is out of Finland, um, and we know that fin- Finns have the uh, they consume the most coffee per capita. We learned that the other week. Mm-hmm. Um, researchers have have made a liquid like don't make outer... fun of me. I know what you're trying to say here. No, it's just a callback. <laughs> Take it the way you want. If you're self conscious about your mistake, uh-huh. that's on you. Uh-huh. Um, Finnish researchers make a liquid like outer layer from silicon that could revolutionize household tasks. Um, scientists have created this this surface. It's pretty cool. It, it it would basically banish a lot of your household tasks and revolutionize so many different industries. There's this research team in Finland. Um, and they've aided by researchers at multiple universities. And what what the surface does is it makes water droplets slip off surfaces with unprecedented um, efficacy. So cooking, transportation, optics, hundreds of other technologies are affected by how water sticks to the surface or slides off of them, right? And adoption of water-resistant surfaces in the future could improve many household and industrial technologies such as plumbing, shipping, and the auto industry. Uh, The research team created solid silicon surfaces with a liquid-like outer layer that repels water by making droplets slide off immediately. The highly mobile top coat acts as a lubricant between the product and the water droplets. So this is pretty cool. The discovery challenges existing ideas about friction between uh, solid surfaces and water, opening a new avenue for studying slipperiness at the molecular uh, level. Uh, By carefully adjusting conditions such as temperature and water content inside a reactor, the team could fine-tune how much of the silicon surface the monolayer covered. Um, So this is pretty pretty cool, new technology. And um, I guess it would make things easier to clean, too. I like that. You have have me at easier to clean. (laughs) Things like heat transfer in pipes, but it's going to apply all across different industries. Heat transfer in pipes, de-icing, anti-fogging, or potential uses. Um, You know, you have uh, micro, micro... droplets of water and, um, mm-hmm. and uh, steam and all that. So it's pretty cool. Pretty cool technology. Uh, look for that coming soon to a surface near you. Another new invention. This is a giant bumper car. Look at that. That's a big one. Yes. This is a giant bumper car. And this man says it's street legal and enormously delightful. Yes. Uh, his his name is Dan Hirahorkoff. Let me, let me try to say it again. Hirahorkoff. Dan Hirahorkoff. Yes. He has constructed this giant bumper car, a project he says started during the pandemic. The rest of us were baking bread. No. He was making this giant bumper car in northeastern Pennsylvania. He's also, by the way, built a submarine, constructed this enormous blue bumper car. It gets its propulsion from a repurposed Chevy engine. It is street legal. Uh, 
he said he made a different vehicle, started on it in around 20, uh, around 2013. When I retired, he said, I decided I kind of wanted to build a car. For that project, he focused on a 1950s pedal car for children. He decided to copy that and make a large one. Uh, so now he's got this that big red vehicle, and that gave him the opportunity to work with fiberglass and other other materials that he also worked with when he did the submarine of <laughs> modified lawnmower. Yeah, it kind of looks like that, right? Yeah, and um, um, if this guy's making a submarine, I'm not going down to the Titanic. No, mm -mm, not not a lot. No, no, thank you. He says when COVID chugga, chugga, hit, chugga, 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 chugga. blam. He wanted a new project. <laughs> he said another car project would be good, so he decided I'm doing a bumper car. He went to an amusement park to get materials. He looked at the bumper cars they have there and looked at this 1953 model bumper car that was made by a company called Lucy. He liked it. It had a Chevy pickup truck sort of look from the 50s. And so he copied one of those. He, uh, yeah, he spent a lot of time making this four years. Uh, well, he spent four years after high school in the Navy. So he, he's been, he's really mechanical. He's been working along uh, on things a lot. But it, yeah, it took him a few years to build this thing, and now he can drive it around town. And it's crazy the way it moves. Wild. It it kind of looks like, I don't know, like a giant, um, what are those vacuum cleaners that they have? That, you know, the electronic vacuum cleaners? You know what I'm talking about? Nope. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you know the <laughs> no ones that it. plug in, they're like robot vacuum cleaners? Roomba? Yeah, that looks like a giant Roomba, the way it moves. Oh, okay. It didn't look like a Roomba, like, visually, but okay. Uh, it doesn't, but when it moves, I think it kind of looks like a Roomba. So here's the... I'll share the video with you. I know you hate when I do this, but it's, it's Oh, you're going it. rogue? I'm going rogue again. I know. I, I, trust me. Let's see if me, it crashes. Come on, everybody. Be, place your bets. Is this going to work? It's going to be okay. Oh, it's going to work. What happened to it? Here it is. Okay. So here's the way this thing works. Are you ready? Doesn't it look like a giant Roomba rolling down the road? There it goes. Woo! I mean, that's a head turner. It doesn't sound environmentally just, friendly, though. Well, it's got a Chevy Chevy truck engine. An yeah. Anyway, that's the way uh, it looks. Wes so. saying, wow, now me 3D printing RD, R2-D2. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't sound it like is a big deal, deal Wes. It is a very big deal well, you that you do that. Deal. Yeah. And apparently, anyway. Kim says you have a sexy name. Yeah, that's true, too. All that is true. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> I was about to say, speaking of sexy, Roman Catholic Diocese. <laughs> bad transition. I'm full of bad no. transitions today. Mm -mm. Um, the Roman Catholic Diocese of Stockton is warning. Where's your fake... sound effect? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no sexy time with uh, Roman yeah. Catholic priests. Uh, they're warning that fake priests, what, are preying on California parishioners. Oh, no, say it ain't so. Uh, Catholic Church back in the news. This is out of Stockton and being reported on NBC. <laughs> a Roman Catholic diocese in California is warning its flock to beware of wolves in priestly clothes. The Diocese of Stockton sent out an alert over the weekend. You have to have an alert system if you're a Catholic Church, right? You yeah. have to have like that, that, that uh, text system ready to hit your uh, parishioners on the phone. I guess so, yeah. Um, so it was over the weekend. Uh, they want to let churches know, people in all these different churches, to be on the lookout for people purporting to be Spanish-speaking Catholic bishops and priests who charge 
exorbitant fees for celebrating the sacraments, teaching classes, and issuing certificates. These imposters are misappropriating the identities of genuine priests in Mexico and conducting unauthorized celebrations of baptism, confirmation, first communion, and house blessings under false pretenses, according to the news release. When challenged, the phony clerics resort to intimidation tactics against anyone questioning their identity or authority. I mean, Mm. they're kind of a big deal, you know, who they work for. Often threatening legal action for defamation, although these threats lack substance. So the diocese spokesperson said the bogus clerics are charging these poor people thousands and thousands of dollars for things like health blessings for communions and confirmations. I don't think uh, our family was ever charged for anything. And I remember when my father passed, I tried to make a donation to the church. And Father Michael at St. James there in Petaluma said, we're not in the business, but thank you. Um, Which was a really sweet thing for him to say in that moment. Um, well, it's it's getting to that time. Can we end with it's another one of your stories? Can you something I that's love not it. about the Catholic Church and corruption? Yeah, I I just really want the story. I, I've been waiting for it, and I need for it to happen. It's the that your mom can now make matches for you on Tinder. What? Like my your mom, mom or, or moms in general? Anybody's mom can get involved in who you're gonna date. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! Yeah, that's right. Tinder users can now let their friends and family recommend potential matches directly in the app. You can invite <laughs> so, up to 15 people like, to review. Oh, this one looks good for John. Uh, possible matches I in 24 it... hours. Uh, every guy's eyes just rolled. Uh, you still have the final say. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> Over 75% <laughs> of singles Tinder survey discuss their da- dating lives with friends several times a month. Um, I would say friends is different than your mom. Um, but uh, now it can be family or friends. A new matchmaker feature on the dating app lets users invite others to review potential matches for them. I don't think anyone's going to be inviting their mom. Do you? Well, I, may, I would say there's no one in this world that has m- the best interests of my kids at heart like I do. I'm not going to pick somebody who looks sketchy. I'm not going to pick someone who I don't think looks like an up and up. Or person. you can let them live their own life, Kim. Listen, you. Ka-ka, I'm ka-ka. just saying. I don't have the sound effect <laughs> of a uh, helicopter. Let me find my helicopter. <laughs> I'm just saying. You said should moms be able to pick, and I'm yeah, saying Kim McAllister, yes. Doctor Eight Ten, hovering over the. Scene. I love it. <laughs> no, no, and- mom. I think no. I would be a great chooser. This is That's where moms right. go too far. What was that thing when you and Kim were talking? Or you and Kim, you are Kim. You and Nikki Me, were Nikki? talking. Yeah, you were talking about something. It was like a question of whether or not she should be involved. And the whole time oh, I'm just like that, cringing. That was when she walked her daughter into high school, the high school oh, play practice right. thing. Yeah, Your kids, you're embarrassing them. Yeah. Just let them spread their wings and let them do their thing because it's, okay. it's, it's too far. That's too fine. Far. But this is an online thing. No one knows your mom Give them the, the tools person. to succeed and don't embarrass them, Kim. What this if is... your mom picked like the person you ended up being like that was the love of your life well that's because not no happening. one knows you no one knows you better than your mama and nobody knows my mom better than i do kim <laughs> no not gonna happen mom has would her you, own agenda would you let me go through and pick for you not now what? <laughs> i time. think that's rude bye bye oh, <laughs> this has been the after party live if you want me to pick your date for you you just let me know all the information i'll take a look I'll, i've got your back Thank you for being with us on the After Party Live. Thank you for all the ways you guys contribute. I just adore all of you, and I'm so appreciate that you spend your time with us in the afternoons. It really means a lot. 
Thank you for being here. Thank you, John Daly. Thanks for sharing some really Thank fun stories. Thank you, Jim Sutton. Five dollar su- super yeah. sticker. West T. Five dollar super sticker. Yeah. Spencer. Three dollar super yeah. sticker. Uh, we want to thank everybody that's involved in the show, the ongoing contributors, Karen C, Julie S, Tamia yes. G. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We'll be right back here doing it tomorrow on the After Party Live. Have Bye-bye. a great afternoon, everybody.